If it's true that you know what I'm feeling, could it be that you're weeping with me? Arise, oh Lord, and save me. There's nowhere else to go. We try to believe what is not meant to be understood. Thank you. 
Happy Easter to you, brothers and sisters. Great to be together on this Lord's Day. And I can say with confidence that we celebrate today uh, the greatest event in the history of the world, that God raised Jesus of Nazareth from the grave. And in light of that, that his followers have great confidence, and I hope there's that added bit of joy congregating on this Easter morning. So welcome to all of you here, to those who are watching at home. Uh, just uh, thankful for the church family and even as we move forward during this season. So welcome cards. You Maybe you're looking for uh, church home or want to know more what's happening at Providence. The welcome card would be a good place to start. You can gather those at the, the back kiosks and fill them out. You can put them in the boxes or hand them to someone who works in the church. And it's just a way of saying, uh, you know, finding out what's happening uh, at Providence and how you can become better connected. So do take advantage of that. Uh, workshops next week. So Doug Fink, uh, who's been a longtime member here and uh, former elder, is going to be teaching on Christology, which is a way of saying the second person of the Trinity. Uh, that will be at 9 o'clock. That will make more sense in a moment. But uh, do take advantage of the workshop, right, to widen our minds that we want to be a thinking church. And uh, Doug Fink's a great teacher for that. So thirdly, the youth is having a, an outreach event on Tuesday the 13th. Uh, at Play Clee, so if you drive on I-90, you've probably seen Play Clee. It's got an obstacle course and a lot of games, and so it's a youth outreach. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. There is a registration process, just so uh, we uh, there, there are waivers and things like that. So do uh, be on top of that. You can look at the, the, the website or contact Pastor Caleb. So the Play Clee event, Tuesday the 13th, all youth are welcome. Uh, importantly, next week we're going to change our service times again. So we've been on a three-service format to spread uh, folks out at the, with the 8 a.m. Starting next week, we'll go to 9 and 10.30. So two services identical, 9 and 10.30. Children's ministry at the 9, uh, workshop at the 9, and then the 10.30 will be live streamed. So to all of you watching, slight change next week will actually be an hour later. Of course, after that, you're, you're available to watch it. So next week, going to 9 and 10.30, and hopefully staying at those two service times uh, for, for quite, a, quite, a, quite a long time. The, the seats will stay six feet apart. And then starting next week, we'll go back to the Gospel of Luke, you know, preaching philosophies to preach the whole, whole counsel of God, Old Testament, Pauline epistles, gospel. So we'll go back to the Gospel of Luke next week. So all that being said, you know, there was a, a Coptic Christian in the first hour, an Egyptian, and I said, in the Coptic, you know, this ancient branch of Christians, do you say uh, he is risen? He is risen indeed. He said, oh, yes, we've always said that. And so we'll, we'll declare that today. He is risen. Hallelujah. May we celebrate that. Well, church, let's stand together. We begin our praise to the King. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. 
Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness.
church, let's remember our risen Lord's words to his disciples as he came risen from the grave. He says, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise, arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You call my name. 
break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter, I was an orphan Now you call me a citizen of ill When I was broken, you were my healing Now your love is here and I'm breathing I have a future, my eyes are open And then you call my name because of the son gave himself for us willingly and joyfully that he might be raised on the third day and we stand here with his hope his righteousness his purity in our hearts father how can this be but that only you lord could do it so we praise you lord he is risen he is risen indeed we love you in jesus name amen amen you can be seated church Come all the faithful, let us worship. For through the cross, joy has come to all the world. Ever blessing the Lord, we sing his resurrection. For having endured the cross for us, he has destroyed death by death. Let's pray together this morning. Lord God, you loved so much that you gave your one and only son that we might be called your children. Lord, help us to live in that gladness and grace of the Resurrection Sunday every day. Let us have hearts of thankfulness for your sacrifice. For, Father, we praise you. For you are a great and awesome God. We glory and glorify you, Father, for you are almighty. In your power that raised Jesus Christ from his death. We thank you for your great plan of salvation for us through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Father, paving the way for us to have new life with you. Thank you for giving us a Lord, a conqueror, a victor, redeemer, deliverer, and a friend in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, we confess our endless need for you. We ask that you renew our hearts, minds, and lives for the days ahead. We pray for your refreshing covering over us that we may be obedient to the Father's will. And Father, walk the way that you did, giving up yourself for love and service. Keep your words of truth planted firm within us. Help us to keep focus on what is pure and right. Give us the power to be obedient to your commands. May we reflect your peace and hope to a world that is so desperately needs that presence, love, healing, and a living hope. Thanks be to God for you, Lord Jesus Christ, our indescribable gift. To you be glory and honor on this resurrection day and forevermore. Amen. Would you please stand with me as we open our Bibles together and read 
from the truce therein. We'll begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning in verse 12, that's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins." then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all most people to be pitied. And in 1 Peter 1, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And may God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. Thank you, Matthias. Well, it's been said that humans can live 40 days without food, three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. So I think that captures a lot about what it means to be human, doesn't it? You say it's very hard for any of us to envision going through any moment of our lives without some idea of hope that most of the time that it's uh, something mundane or routine about what you might want for dinner or about uh, where you want to go and, and what you want to do with your life. But to be human means to have hopes that without hope, say, we very quickly become dehumanized. And so in a condition where we all have kinds of hope, uh, all kinds of hopes, the, the question arises as to what happens when hopes die. Say enough of that, and you say you find the opposite of hope, and that is despair. And you see, while these are true, say we all need to have hope in order to live, and we know what it means to have hopes die, you say we run a real danger, I think, in our culture uh, because of how we normally use the word hope. That hope often, the way that we tend to use it, is about something that, that has an uncertain outcome that uh, may or may not come true. So you can see in the notes, I wrote that line on, on uh, Thursday morning, say, I hope that it doesn't snow in April as there was a great blizzard outside my window. Or say, I hope the Browns go deeper in the playoffs, or I hope the Indians start hitting. You know, those kinds of things. You say they're, they're very particularized, and I don't really have control, and that tends to be how we use the word hope, or I hope I, you know, get the promotion, I hope I can make this amount of money, or whatever it be, very specific, and may or may not come true. What I want us to see today is that biblical hope 
which is part of the great, what we could say, the great uh, triad in the New Testament, right? Faith, hope, and love. We talk a lot about faith and love. We don't tend to talk about hope, but it is, in fact, one of the great parts of the, the Christian triad. Say, biblical hope, different from the way we use the term, constitutes confidence in a settled event of the future. You see, why we need hope is because it, it kind of uh, pulls us along. It prods us forward, right? If I don't have some, something, some optimistic view of the future, then I'm going to be doomed and in despair. And here's Christian hope. It says, yes, it's futuristic, but it's also promised. It's promised because of the completed events of history and what God did in Jesus. That it's a declaration that your hope is not something that may or may not come true, but actually it definitely will come true because God has spoken and that he's entered history. And our hope then is very different from, we could say, a non-Christian hope, if that's the word at all. So today our key passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And just that little phrase, did it jump out at you? That there is for the Christ follower a living hope. Say, so what is the opposite, you'd say, of a living hope? Or why does uh, Peter qualify it with living? You say, is it a dead hope or perhaps hope in, in dead things? And so the first point I think we should tease out here rather provocatively is the bold claim that without Easter, without what we're celebrating today, we have little reason for hope. You see, listen to the way that Paul in another epistle, this is Ephesians chapter 2, puts it. He's talking to the Ephesians about before they were believers. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That the diagnosis of the Bible is very clear. So you take the event of what God has done in Jesus, you take God out of your system, you say, you're in a place of real doom. And the best way I can put this is you see how we then all of a sudden have what we could say is a closed system. That if you don't have a God who breaks into history, then all you're left with is, is just the stuff, just the material, right? We know that narrative. That we've all emerged from the soup. That the way that you go forward is by trying a bit harder. And the fact that there could be any hope there be, beyond what I'm able to do for myself is very bleak. You know, I think Bertrand Russell, the mathematician and atheist, you know, voices like his are actually friends to the church because they take uh, naturalism, that is a system without God and Easter, they take that view of the world to its logical end. So here, in a much longer quote than what I'll read, but listen to what he says. Humans are the outcome of accidental collections of atoms that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built? You say, I think Russell is absolutely correct. That when you take God out of the view, that when you say there's no such thing as Easter, that it's all a bunch of hooey, then what we're left with is very bleak indeed. We're all here by chance. Whatever we make of achievement is 
going to be forgotten, that we all know that we're on our way to an ultimate demise and destruction. So let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not deceive ourselves into thinking there's any grand view of hope beyond what you're able to accomplish for yourself. Rather, if you're intellectually honest, what you're left with is despair. You see, that's why I like Russell. He's intellectually honest. You don't have God breaking in. What you're left with is despair. And you know, friends, if we define hope, I think loosely, if you say look it up in the dictionary, say hope would generally be an optimistic view of the future. The future is going to be better than it is today. You say, do we really have any confidence that that's going to be the case? I mean, even if you're not a particularly good student of history, I mean, I think you know. You say you look at all the great civilizations, all the great republics. You say, what do they have in common? Well, they're all crumbling or they've crumbled. I couldn't help but think about an article I'd read in The Atlantic in December 2020, right? Peter Turchin, the historian, he said he long predicted, he said 2020 is going to be a really bad year because we have a bloated elite class, the jobs aren't there, the government's insolvent, we're spending too much money, we're out of control, and, and our republic is collapsing, and it's very hard not to see things that way. You know, I think a Thomas Cole's series of paintings, actually magnificent scent of paintings called The Course of Empire. Maybe you've seen them. It starts with an agrarian society, and then as the paintings go, the society becomes more developed until the last painting. You know what the last painting is, is the civilizations in ruins. See, Cole knew. Say things run their course. In our sinfulness, we eventually collapse. They said, we actually have very little confidence empirically. I mean, if you trust the, what you're able to detect, to say, well, I believe the future is going to be a lot better uh, than, than now, you say, are we not deceiving ourselves? Now, there have been those who've tried to promise the people a great future, Humans unaided by God trying to usher in a better future than what we have now. You say even in the last about 120 years, we've had some great examples, right? With Lenin and Stalin and the Bolsheviks. We've had Mao and the Cultural Revolution, Hitler with National Socialism. Here comes the new Messiah. Let me show you what the future's like. Civilizations destroyed and millions lost. You take Christ and Easter out, it's a closed system with some kind of person maybe making some promises. But I think if we're honest, if we're intellectually honest, we'd have to side with Russell. No amount of achievement, believing, devotion, accomplishment, none of that is ultimately going to matter. But what's true is that you ought to be in despair because hope is a category that's specifically Christian. Now, what is the world that we observe, right, to take the Bible's uh, diagnosis is that we live in a decaying world and say we need to look no further than our own bodies. I know some in the congregation are young. You're not thinking about this, but you get to a certain point. You, see, you say, well, you know, actually, my life's moving one direction, and it's, it's towards the grave that I'm not able to do what I once did, that my mind doesn't work the way that it used to, that it seems that I'm on this kind of a long uh, journey towards decay and the grave. You say, well, yeah, that's an obvious fact. Say, may we keep it front and center on Easter. Say, that's the destiny of all of our lives, right? That we're going uh, one way, that we're, we are decaying. Moreover, you say suffering. Suffering is a reality of life. You know, it strikes me, I think of the places I've lived in my life, Sugar and Falls, Boca Raton, 
Oxford, England, and Avon. So not exactly rough places. Um, and as good as my life has been, a wonderful life, I think, by you take all the billions of people, say, I've had a wonderful life, and yet suffering is there. Reading M. Sean Copeland, she's a black female theologian writing on uh, an article on, on female slaves. She says, suffering is universal. Say, isn't that true? Say, even if you've had a pretty good life, you know, see many in our congregation, I would guess you kind of look, say, yeah, by world, like I have a pretty good life, and yet suffering is there. That this last year we've lost loved ones, we've been disappointed, we've had frustrations, relationship problems, that suffering is always kind of hanging there. Say, that's the truth of the matter, and if that's the case, what hope do I have? Say another, I think, biblical view is that progress, whatever we define as progress, rarely comes without struggle. You know, think of somebody's life that you think is worth emulating. It doesn't matter in what arena, in athletics or business or, or whatever it would be. Say so you, you talk to them long enough and what you'll find to say, well, I, you know, I, I'm only here after a lot of disappointment and failure and loss that it's not as if the way that life works is it's just a smooth trajectory. Okay, here's my hope. I want this, this, and this, and it's just going to be, you know, kind of a smooth sailing all the way to the top. Say, no one thinks that that's the case. That we live in a fallen, decaying world where there's lots of suffering, and every progress that we can hope to make comes with real struggle. And this is because, again, the big diagnosis that Scripture makes is that sin is not just actions, but it is a state. What I mean by that is we've caused a great problem in the American church by saying, well, you know, sins, when the Bible's talking about that, it's talking about little, bit, you know, little mistakes. Oops, I, I blew it there. I said the wrong thing there. I did the, you know, mistreated my spouse there. And if that's the extent of it, say that you know, is sinful behavior, no doubt. But the diagnosis of the Bible is way more serious. That sin is a force, right, that we've allowed in through our rebellion, that it's overtaken creation and the cosmos itself, that all of us have clenched our fists, that it's a power that's overtaken us, and consequently we're weighed down. That we're going to decay, we're going to suffer, we're going to struggle, and we know that to be the case. And so where this leaves us, I think, again, back to this first point, you take God and Easter out of it, any idea of hope, as people use that, is going to be particularized, I'll unpack that in a moment, individually determined, and actually subject to waning. What I mean by particularized is this. You look at the social science on hope. You say all the social scientists that work on this, they always differentiate between what they call particularized hope and general hope. Say, particularized hope is how we use it. I hope I get the promotion. I hope I can date that person. I hope I, you know, that, that little, uh, it's a very specific thing, and it's often about your own individual circumstances. Much different than a general hope. General hope is a great optimism about the future. That things will become better for humanity and the world in the long run. You see, that's what we mean by general. That things ultimately going to be great for humanity. You see, I think all of that has to be lost without God that all you're left with is a particularized, individually determined, and often thwarted view of hope. Is that hope at all? You know, Dante, for his fantastic account of hell, I think he did get it right. You remember back to high school English, you read the Inferno. In goes the pilgrim into the gates of hell. There's a great inscription above the gates of hell. You remember that last line of it. Abandon all hope ye who enter here. Dante's right. 
take God and Christ out, all you have left is you better try harder. And you're probably going to be disappointed. There's no hope at all. It's a closed system. We're all a product of the soup. Very bleak indeed. You say, that's despair. That's what Russell knew. Without Easter, we have little hope. But gloriously, say, I hope those of us in Christ... Those of us in Christ have a different view, right? Not a hope in dead things or particular things, but rather, verse 3, a living hope. Say, why would Peter, in these famous couple of verses, describe a living hope? We have a living hope, firstly, because Christ is alive. You see, according to God's great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Very simply, say we have a hope because Christ is alive today, and this is the greatest moment in history. I know some like to, I think you, we all owe it to ourselves, if you're entertaining this, to, to read some of the material on uh, the historical evidence of the resurrection, if you're interested in that kind of thing, because I think it's, it's, it's captivating, but let's be clear about what's, what's obvious, is that the, the, the account of the resurrection is a, is a settled matter very early on in the church. So Paul's writing the letters to the Galatians and the Thessalonians in the late 40s, and he treats it as if, don't we all know? I mean, he's treating that he says, this is the, the, the bedrock of our faith. That very early on, it's a settled matter, and it's something that Christians uh, really uh, adhere to. It's why we still get up on Sunday mornings and worship, that it's a settled matter of history. And those who write about it wouldn't be so much kind of accumulating scientific data as we might think about, but rather their testimonies. They're saying, look, this is what happened to me, that I, I've experienced Jesus risen from the dead, as we read about in Luke chapter 24, that there are firsthand accounts of what's happened. And let's not, again, fool ourselves, as often I get the objection, right, like this. Well, you know, people who lived a long time ago, they weren't that intelligent, and they would believe anything. You say, this is... Lewis's chronological snobbery, isn't it? Say, please. Are we so prideful that we think that those humans who lived that long ago thought dead people rose from the grave? You say, they were more acquainted with death than we'll ever be. They say, more death on a monthly basis than we would see in a lifetime. Say, dead people did not raise from the grave then. They don't raise from the dead now. And yet, this is the great claim of the church, a settled matter very early that we gather because Jesus is alive. Now, notice, friends, what this does, wonderfully, is the fact that Jesus is alive and that we have a living hope, it then relativizes all the individual particular hopes that we have. So you say, I hope that I'm going to marry this person, or I hope I'm going to be able to do this, or I hope I get the scholarship. You say, all that in a closed system, that's a very bad thing. But when Christ being raised from the dead is introduced, all those things become relativized, that they become less important. You say some of them are very grave indeed, but because it's the case that Jesus has been raised, that all those other hopes that have died become relativized. You say, don't you think the first audience knew this? You notice Peter's audience, they're suffering many trials, that their lives are in many, I think, harder than a lot of the, what we experience on a daily basis, and yet he's writing to them. He's ultimately going to uh, lead to a horrible uh, end, but what he's saying is, look, when, when Jesus uh, is comprehended in his fullest that he has been raised, then all the disappointments of this life become actually relative to this great general hope we have that all those in him will be raised. You say, this is a general hope. Not a particular hope, but a general hope that for the Christ follower, 
that the future will be better, that this world will be consummated under its rightful king, that all the tears will be wiped from our eyes. You say, you notice the other words uh, that are used of the resurrection in the Bible, right? Jesus is the first fruits, that he is the down payment, his resurrection is the down payment. In other words, can't you see that God in history has demonstrated to you, faith, faithful ones, that your future will be better? Now, something for you to think about this week. I've not quite worked this out myself. It's probably a question that you'll work through over a lifetime. But do the other major faiths of the world place as much emphasis on, on historical events as ours? You say, do you realize how risky this is? You know, if you talk to a, a, a Muslim, Muhammad's very important, but the actual things that he did and happened to him are, are not really as important as the deposits of the teachings. Whereas our faith does something incredibly bold, very risky. The great claim that in time, among people, among eyewitnesses, whose accounts are preserved, that God raised him from the dead, and this becomes a guarantee to his followers that the future will be better, there's real reason to have hope. And you say it's not just the feeling of hope, but there's an object to hope. Do you see it there? It's in verse 4. That your hope is because Jesus is alive, and there's an inheritance with three adjectives, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Say, so you look at it again, go back to Cole's paintings of the course of, of empire. Empire and material things are perishable, defiled, impure, uh, fading. Everything that we can possibly hope to gather here on our own is subject to those things. But the inheritance kept for those who follow Jesus is not subject to those things. That it's inheritance, it's an inheritance that's imperishable, that there's a real object, that no matter how badly things go, no matter what disappoints you, discourages you, embarrasses you, the hopes that are dashed, that for the Christ follower, there is an inheritance that can never be taken away and will never be disappointed. And you see, for all this, the category of a hopeless Christian would be such a contradiction to most of the saints in history. You say, a hopeless Christian would be like talking about a square circle. You say, it can't possibly be. Because the Christian who's in Christ says this is the very point that God raised him from the dead in history, that there's a guarantee, there's a first fruits, there's a down payment. And no matter how my particularized uh, hopes are, are thwarted here, that there's a general hope in the future because it's been demonstrated and we celebrate it all these centuries later on Easter morning. So without Easter, I'm not sure there's much reason for hope, certainly not a general hope. With Easter, we have a living hope because Jesus is raised from the dead, that he's alive, there's an inheritance. And then finally, I also think to stay on that notion of a living hope, you say, why else is it living? It's living because it wells up within the believer. That it's as if this hope is a, it's, it's a force that can come upon us and, and grow within the Christian. And I think, you know, take a look at verse 3 again, that wonderful phrase, according to God's great mercy and kindness, he's caused us to be born again. That the Christ follower has been regenerated that there's been something added, right? My fallenness and my, my frailty, that God has renewed me, he's quickened me, he's alivened me, and because of that, that his hope is within me, right? That all those who have put their faith in Christ receive God's spirit and even in the worst of times can be hopeful. You say, if you were here Friday night, we tried deliberately, I like how we monitor the liturgical calendar here. You say, it was a, 
it was a softened service. You say, Good Friday is supposed to be that day. You know, you never separate Good Friday from Easter, do you? That the one who came to die on the cross is the same one who's been raised. And I think that very picture is the, what we're to gather here as the Christ followers. That we're going to have a lot of equivalence to the Good Fridays. To be mistreated, to be disappointed, to be betrayed. All the things of what it means to be human, human in a fallen world. You say that, but God's hope lives within us, right? Easter's on its way and you're able to be pulled through, right? In that hope to be pulled through the triumph, trials and disappointments that the hope lives within us. You notice too that God, you see in verse 5, he's, his power guards the faithful. If you've been coming for any length of time, you remember back to Philippians chapter 4. Same verbs used, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard you. See, God's power and his peace will be with the Christ follower, it'll push him or her along, that it will well up within us. That's why it's alive. It's not a static thing. It's not a stale position, but rather something that's active in our lives. Friends, I think the point here, the main point that we're to see is that for the Christian, that hope is not so much an individual achievement as we're so used to defining it, but hope comes in a relationship with the living Christ whose relationship within you will give you new outbursts of hope in the time of trial. Has it been a hard year? Indeed. Has it been maybe the best year in my life to be a Christian? I definitely think so. I really think so. In fact, the worse things get, it might be very good for those who are really in Christ. Because you're able to say, you know what, I'm in a relationship with the Lord Jesus and his hope wells up within me. And no matter how disappointed and frustrated I am with powers beyond what I can control, I know the future, that there's a great inheritance, that it's undefiled because of what God did on Easter. You see, while we've been talking about hope in the future, you see, that's always tied to the present. That when I have this optimistic view, right, that God has, is the things will be better in the future. It's a generalized hope that it's going to give me present joy and confidence even during hard times. So again, the moves without Easter, I don't know if there's hope. I don't think so. We have a living hope, those of us in Christ, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he's alive. There's an inheritance. And we have a living hope because of the testimony of the faithful that say, I can be hopeful in the trials of life because God wells up within me. So does this make a difference? First, a quote about the early church. Does this kind of hope make a difference? From Cranfield, the great commentator, unlike their pagan neighbors, the early Christians were people of hope who could look steadily into the future without fear not with mere resignation, but with eager anticipation. A due dimension had been given to their lives, the dimension of the future of eternal life. Did you catch that? You say, unlike their pagan neighbors, the Christians weren't afraid. You say, there's a lot of that going around now. Fear of the future. You say, maybe some reason for concern and to be active. But may the Christ follower not be afraid. Say, we of all people are filled with hope that things will get better, they'll be consummated under the real king, that we can trust him now and have an impact now. Maybe a bit more provocatively, look at the Randy Alcorn quote there. It says this, I think fitting for today. For Christians, the present life is as close as they'll come to hell. For unbelievers, this life is the closest they'll come to heaven. Say, so think in this room, 
in our congregation, I cataloged a number of things they've been true in the last 52 weeks. Maybe you'd add to them. Said so we faced rejection at work. We faced bad investments that we had hoped would do better than they did. Many have struggled with their body image and tried a new diet or something new to help them look different. It didn't work. We've not received the scholarship that we hoped we'd get. We weren't admitted to the university that we hoped we'd get into. That some have wanted a new house and because of the market that that's not materialized. Some of us have received the bad diagnosis of cancer. Others, some kind of bad uh, diagnosis in another health matter. Say many in our congregation have lost loved ones. They say, you're in a closed system. Say, all those thwarted hopes, all those disappointments, you say, what do you have to say? Toughen up. It's despair. Pretty bleak. But if you're a Christ follower, even those scary ones, the bad diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, you see how all of those do become relativized. That God raised Jesus from the dead. And now those in him will live under his care and his provision for eternity. You know, if you're not a Christian today, I'd hope you think very carefully about this. That I'm not sure that you have real hope without Jesus. And whether it's a personal pride or maybe you've been many years kind of avoiding this, uh, you know, from those who've been telling you and you just uh, refuse to go there, I hope that you'd think very carefully about the promise put forth in Jesus. And you think, you know what, I'm contributing to the problem here, that I'm a weak sinner, that I've rebelled against God, that I can't do it on my own, that I've tried to manufacture hope, and you know what, today's the day I want to turn my life into Christ because he's unique. And you would make Easter 2021 the day where you surrender your life to Christ, that he would come in and regenerate you and make you born again into this living hope. You see there, it's by faith. You see in verse 5, right? It is by faith that this is apprehended to believe what God has done in Jesus to experience the hope and the promise that we have in him. For those of us who are Christians, as I said, isn't it kind of strange in a way to think that the same people congregated in this room or that make up our congregation will not be the same group that is here next year, that will all be moved around sometimes the way we want to be, sometimes not. Some of us will die. And yet we can still have hope the hope that God is in control, that he secured the future by Christ. May we of all people, if we are those who proclaim Christ but don't believe the resurrection, we of all people are to be pitied, but may it not be so. May we be those who have the living hope because Christ is alive, it wells up in us, and again, our world so desperately needs this example. I'll invite Ian and the team back up for a couple of closing hymns. Lord, I pray that in our witness that we would be um, committed enough to have an honest conversation with people about where their hope is. They say that's not even a religious question. And to help those in our midst to realize that uh, actually I, I don't know how much hope there is. It's only what I'm able to accomplish and that I'm not in control and I need to think differently about this. And, and I pray that all those who would be in this room who have not surrendered to Christ would see something new in what you've done in Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, that we so easily fall back down and play the game of, of being uh, disappointed and, and being all, um, all caught up in material things, may this uh, show us afresh that you have broken into history, Lord, that you've raised Jesus from the dead, that all the stuff becomes uh, very, very dim indeed in light of what you've done. 
So we commit this time to you. Help this hope that is found in Jesus sink into us. May Christ be lifted high this Easter and always. In his name we pray. Amen. Church, with this hope, let's stand together. Let's sing to the Lord.
he's alive from Romans 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Friends, we of all folks should be hopeful that he is risen indeed. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you until we shall meet again or until our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, comes now and forevermore. Amen. May we go in the Lord's peace and hope. Come, oh, come, and we'll come back.